On the 21st of October, 1833, Andriette Ansel gave birth to a baby boy who would later become the most famous member of his entire family by a colossal margin. This is made more impressive since this is a family of oil magnates, inventors, massively wealthy capitalists, and nobility. Famous may be too ambiguous of a word. He is famous now to us, but while he was still alive, the more appropriate term may be infamous. He is, after all, the merchant of death. He is Alfred Nobel. Ironically, the invention, or I should say, inventions that gave Nobel that moniker "the Merchant of Death" was actually to make the explosive of his day safer. Nobel did not invent nitroglycerin, the explosive compound much more powerful than traditional gunpowder. The problem with nitroglycerin was its volatility and unpredictable nature. Even producing it was risky. In fact, Alfred's younger brother Emil died when the shed preparing nitroglycerin at their factory exploded. What Alfred Nobel invented was dynamite, which is a formulation that stabilized nitroglycerin, making it safer and easier to handle. He later invented galignite, an even more stable and powerful version. But his most profitable invention is ballastite, a safer, smokeless, and more powerful upgrade to traditional gunpowder used in munition. These inventions quickly became widespread and soon the standard for mining, drilling, and commercial purposes, and undoubtedly prevented many tragic accidents of unintentional detonation. However, by making these explosives safer, their use for more violent means grew exponentially—wars and conflicts and whatnots. Nobel got rich from selling explosives and explosive adjacents. Naively, he also thought his much more deadly explosive would bring an end to war. He was wrong. The same way those who thought the atomic weapon would bring an end to war, or those who called the First World War the war to end all wars. Today we know Nobel's name for a very different reason. The famous story, or perhaps myth, goes as follows: In 1888, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. However, multiple newspapers confused the two brothers, perhaps because Alfred at this point was the far more recognized one, and published obituaries for Alfred Nobel instead—a rare opportunity to see how people would have reacted to your death while still living. The obituaries were less than kind. They stated in French, "The merchant of death is dead," and continued, quote, "Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday." Legend says he was horrified that this was the legacy that may befall him, and in response, set up his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. The original five categories are chemistry, physics, physiology slash medicine, literature, and the Peace Prize. We don't talk about the economics one; that's a fake one. The rest is, as we know. History. Unlike most awards in science or academia, the Nobel Prize got widespread notice and international attention within a few years. Many reasons contributed to its surge in recognition. Perhaps the fact that Alfred Nobel was a recluse, so this announcement came as a surprise to the world, which grabbed all the headlines. Perhaps there were few such award of its kind at the time, making the Nobel Prize more singular in its existence. The Nobel Prize was one of the first award ever to accept nominations from all countries, not just Europe or Sweden. Or perhaps is the unprecedented massive cash prize for the winner, adjusted for inflation, just under one million U.S. dollars for the first award in 1991. That's each category. 
Over the next several decades, the Nobel Prize built up its reputation with its careful selection of laureates and eventually evolved into a bridge that connected the scientific world with broader society. Now, it's a household name. One of the categories is the Peace Prize, which is awarded to individuals who have, quote, done the most or the best work for fraternity between nations, for the abolition or reductions of standing armies, and for the holding and promoting of peace congresses, end quote. No one knows why this was chosen as a category, as Nobel never directly commented on it. The obvious explanation is Alfred Nobel was compensating for his destructive inventions, but if that was the case, there's something missing. There's no Nobel Prize for public health. Let's jump into the mind of someone who is, supposedly, feeling guilty of the devastation brought on by his inventions. Inventions that made him very wealthy. Establishing a prize that celebrates peace is meaningful. Given his background in engineering, establishing prizes in these sciences is also understandable. But why isn't there a prize that goes along the lines of individuals who have done the most to elevate the well-being and prosperity of the most number of human beings, or something like that? Not even explicitly public health, but just who saved the most lives, which in practice is what public health is about. I can anticipate some pushback. That's what the Peace Prize is for. War, especially modern war, is a savage and violent plague. There are no good wars. Estimates for how many people died during war or conflict in the 20th century ranges anywhere between 108 million lives to 231 million lives. Just malaria has killed more people in that same century. One disease. This is not counting the king of infectious disease, tuberculosis, or the plague of the New World, smallpox, or the disease of infantile paralysis, polio. The polio vaccine, by itself, saved more lives than the Vietnam War took, both sides combined. Yes, peace is important, but so is public health, if not more so. And by the way, neither Jonas Salk nor Albert Sabin, the developer of the polio vaccine, won a Nobel Prize, not the Peace Prize, not the prize in medicine or physiology. There is no Nobel Prize for public health. To be clear, there are no shortages of prizes and awards in public health. A visit to WHO's page on public health prizes and awards proves that. The American Public Health Association, or APHA, also hosts a series of awards. Dozens of them. Could one of them be considered the Nobel Prize for Public Health? Let's find out. If you search for the Nobel Prize for Public Health on Google, what comes up is a whole bunch of nothing. Most of the links on the first page points to the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, which is not public health. However, if you search for the most prestigious award in public health, one award comes up. The Calderon Prize is a prize awarded by the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health. It is awarded once every two years to individuals who has made a, quote, transformational contribution, end quote, in the field. I am a very new public health person, so my not knowing this award prior to my research for this episode may not be indicative of anything. But listeners, please let me know if you've heard of this award before. Email in the episode description below. It's a relatively young award, starting just over 30 years ago in 1992, and not that many has been handed out since it's awarded every other year, skipping certain years too. The cash award is a modest $50,000. Now, I'm not saying that the Calderon Prize isn't the most prestigious award in public health. What I am saying is that from what I could find, the claim that it is the most prestigious award in public health seems to come mainly from Columbia Mailman School of Public Health, the presenter of said award. And that's all I will say about this. Another candidate, 
after much digging on Google, is the highest honor from APHA called the Sedgwick Memorial Medal. Unlike the Calderon Prize, it has a longer history starting from 1929 and it is awarded annually. I could not find any information about whether there is any monetary award with it also. I have not heard about the Sedgwick Memorial Medal before. Listeners, please let me know if you have. Though, given that it is awarded by the APHA, the American Public Health Association, it stands to reason that perhaps many people in the field would know about the surprise. Who knows? The Lasker Award is more well-known. It is an annual award for people who made major contributions to medical science, which is in public health. However, it has four categories, and one of those categories is the Lasker Bloomberg Public Service Award, which is given every other year alternating with the Lasker Koshland Special Achievement Award. It comes with an impressive $250,000 award. This does have a lot of potential to be considered as the Nobel Prize for Public Health, but at the end of the day, it's a prize that revolves around the medical sciences, which is only a small component of what public health contains. I knew about this award, but just nominally. So listeners, again, please let me know if you've heard about this award prior to this episode. The final contender for the Nobel of Public Health is the Fry's Prize for Improving Health, which is an annual award by the Center of Disease Control that recognizes, quote, major accomplishments in health improvement and with the general criteria of the greatest good for the greatest number, end quote. Now that is something that sounds like a Nobel Prize for Public Good that I proposed earlier. First awarded in 1992, it is given annually and has a monetary prize of $60,000, from the CDC's website, they even use the term, quote, establishing a foundation to support a Nobel-like prize for health, end quote. Fantastic. Here's the problem. Pretty much no one knows about this prize. Again, let me know, listeners, if you knew about this prize, but at the time of writing, it doesn't even have its own Wikipedia entry. A Wikipedia entry is a shorthand for whether someone or something has made it into the public consciousness, and the answer for the Fry's prize is a resounding no. At this point, I would like to assure everyone that I'm not trivializing these awards. These awards are definitely important and undoubtedly meaningful to the winners and those in the field. However, what these awards lack that the Nobel Prize has is widespread public recognition. The power of the Nobel Prize is not in its prize money or ceremony or the winning piece of intellectual innovation. It's not even about the academic prestige it brings to the recipient because let's face it, to be awarded the Nobel Prize, you need to be pretty well known already. The power of the Nobel Prize is its place in the public consciousness. Everyone knows what it is. It is a symbol in broader society, not just that field. An example of a symbol that transcends the field is Mount Everest. You don't need to be an alpinist or know anything about geography or anything about mountain climbing to know the expression, this is the Mount Everest of blank, used to describe an almost insurmountable task, implying that to accomplish that task would be extraordinary. However, if you ask anyone who actually knows what summiting tall peaks is like, Everest is not the most dangerous and challenging peak to summit. The second tallest peak in the world, simply named K2, is a more challenging climb due to its unique geography, long approach, and vicious weather conditions. K2 kills more than 22% of climbers who attempt it. The deadliest mountain by death rate is the 10th highest peak in the world, Annapurna, killing more than a quarter of those who dare attempt to summit the mountain, and by some estimate, that number is even higher. 
What about Everest, the supposed king of mountains? Sure, it kills more people by numbers, but that's because far more people attempt to climb it. By death rate compared to the 22% of K2 and by some calculation 30% of Annapurna, Everest's death rate is 3%. But that doesn't matter. Everyone knows Everest, so Everest is king. Public reputation matters. Take the Olympics. The Tokyo 2020 Olympics was remarkable because it added four new sports, five if you count the return of softball and baseball, and more than two dozen new events. One of these added sports was sport climbing, or competitive indoor rock climbing. Sure, rock climbing already has a pretty big community and fan base, but there is no question that the sport's debut in the Olympics dramatically boosted the popularity of the sport. These rock climbers are not just climbing in climbing competitions anymore, but at the Olympics, they are Olympic athletes who are representing their entire country on the world stage. There is more attention to the sport as a whole, and therefore more funding for the sport going forward. Same thing with skateboarding, the other new sport added to Tokyo 2020. Prior to that, most people who don't care about skateboarding probably viewed it as an activity that kids do. After the Olympics, not anymore. It is now a sport that an athlete representing their entire country can win a medal for. In some ways, the Olympics legitimized it, although it was legitimate already. The Olympic Games carries weight in the public consciousness. It has public reputation. It is a big deal when a sport becomes a part of the Olympic Games. The Nobel Prize is the same. Someone who has not set foot in STEM knows what it is, just like the Olympic Gold Medal for sports, the Academy Award for film, and the Michelin Star for restaurants. Everyone knows what it is, not just the people in those fields. And that's the power it has. The Nobel Prize has achieved the Everest status. It is used as a symbol to define other awards. A prominent one is the Pulitzer Prize, which some call the Nobel Prize for Journalism. Other example, the Carl Gustav Rusby Research Medal is the Nobel Prize for Atmospheric Science. The Turing Award is the Nobel Prize for Computers. The Goldman Environment Prize is the Nobel Prize for Environmental Activism. For mathematician, it gets contentious as there are two prizes competing to be the highest honor, the Fields Medal and the Abel Prize. Now, if I were to just tell you those prizes, you probably wouldn't know about them, but if I were to refer to them as the Nobel of their field, all of a sudden, those prizes mean something to you. And that's the power it has. As of now, there is no Nobel Prize for public health, and arguably, there is not even an award that can be considered the Nobel for public health. Public health may be inherently difficult to celebrate with a singular award once a year for two main reasons. First, public health, for the most part, is a group effort. Whether it's vaccine development, vaccine distribution, solving the housing crisis, clean water access, wildfire prevention, healthcare reforms, and thousands of other possible endeavors, usually a whole team of people are involved. Second, public health is such a broad field that anything could be considered a public health accomplishment. A singular award is likely insufficient. Comparing efforts across the public health space could also be challenging. Who is to say that a sweeping gun violence prevention legislation is more or less impactful than a massive vaccination campaign in a developing country? The global scale of public health doesn't help. The selection committee would need to peruse through submissions from all around the globe, possibly thousands if not tens of thousands of them. For these considerations, having multiple awards, each for a specific context, might be the way to go for public health, which is the model that we have today. Awards are certainly not everything, also. 
Frankly, there is a substantial argument that could be made about how society in general may have too many awards, and awards fuel ego and vanity rather than meaningfully advance the good of the field. While public health having a prestigious award would be much appreciated, that's not the core issue. Public health isn't suffering from a lack of awards, it's suffering from the lack of recognition. The COVID pandemic should have highlighted the importance of public health, and in the United States particularly, it really highlighted what happens when a country doesn't have a good public health infrastructure. You would think that this event completely changed the public's perception on public health, and as a society, we start to reinvest in public health and double down on social reforms. No. What we got was COVID denial, anti-vaxxers, blaming public health for not doing enough without realizing the reason why public health couldn't do enough is due to decades of disinvestment, we weren't able to shake the pre-existing dogma that health is a purely medical concern and focus on developing a vaccine instead of recognizing that health of the public goes far beyond individual immunity. Two years later, it seems that everyone outside of the field has forgotten, almost willingly, what public health is. And for people working in public health, this was tremendously frustrating to witness. Will a prestigious public health award change the public perception of public health? Who can say? Whatever it is, public health needs to break through to the public consciousness. The people need to know what public health is and understand its values and virtues. Maybe a symbol that represents public health on the same level that Mount Everest does for mountain climbing. Or maybe it's through a language that the masses can understand. Pop culture. And there may be a way to do that. Tune in next week for part two. It's worth noting that to this day, no historians could find primary sources of that faithful obituary that galvanized Alfred Nobel to establish the Nobel Prize. The story, like many of these legendary historical figures, may be revisionist to tie a neat bow on things that satisfy our need for an easy explanation. Let's be honest, the story that Nobel was racked with guilt, so made the Nobel Prize as a way of atonement, is much more agreeable than the more reasonable story that maybe he just wanted to distract people from associating his image with war. Whatever it is, it certainly worked.